Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, and I'm here to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's midnight here, and I hope you're all feeling well tonight. If you're not, I hope I can help you relax and get a good night's sleep. It's okay to not be okay. It's been a tough year, and even more so for those struggling with mental illness. Tonight's story is the third installment of our ongoing reading of Alice in Wonderland, and we're finally up to the Cheshire Cat and the Mad Tea Party. This is a bonus episode in the middle of the week for my beloved subscribers who have written some wonderful things and reviews of the podcast, and I thank you wholeheartedly. As with the last few episodes, I'm going to start off with a good news story before we get to the main story to perk up your spirits. Tonight's news story is about the capture of the Texas Butthole Tickling Bandit. The Texas Butthole Tickling Bandit has finally been captured by police. A man who was breaking into the homes of residents in Dallas and tickling their buttholes whilst they were asleep has finally been caught after a reign of terror lasting a little over three weeks. He managed to be identified by police and was arrested in the early hours of January 5th at 5am. Unfortunately, at this point, he had already broken into over a dozen homes at night and tickled people's butts. His victims were solely men. A man named Richard Hayes who lived in the area the booty tickler was targeting, described the fear that gripped the neighborhood. Fam, I slept on my back every day. I can finally sleep on my stomach again. As all the break-ins took place at night, this was typical of most people in the neighborhood. Many were said to be relieved that they could now once again sleep on their stomachs. The biggest problem police had in tracking down the tickler was that he was originally believed to be homeless. But that turned out not to be the case. When they picked him up, he was actually wearing over $4,500 of Yeezus clothing. Talk about having your suspect in the wrong ballpark. The tickler hasn't been named and is now being held in a Dallas County prison with no bond. I don't know if that news story is true, but I wouldn't put it past anyone doing this these days. Alright, let's get into tonight's story. I've set it to sleep inducing music and this lovely fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. For a minute or two, she stood looking at the house and wondering what to do next when suddenly, a footman in livery came running out of the wood. She considered him to be a footman because he was in livery. Otherwise, judging by his face only, she would have called him a fish and rapped loudly at the door with his knuckles. It was opened by another footman in livery with a round face and large eyes like a frog, and both footmen Alice noticed, had powdered hair that curled all over their heads. She felt very curious to know what it was all about, and crept a little way out of the wood to listen. The fish footman 
began by producing from under his arm a great letter, nearly as large as himself, and this he handed over to the other, saying in a solemn tone, for the Duchess, an invitation from the Queen to play croquet. The frog footman repeated in the same solemn tone, only changing the order of the words a little, from the Queen. An invitation for the Duchess to play croquet. Then, they both bowed low, and their curls got entangled together. Alice laughed so much at this, that she had to run back into the wood, for fear of their hearing her. And when she next peeped out, the fish footman was gone, and the other was sitting on the ground near the door, staring stupidly into the sky. Alice went timidly up to the door and knocked. There's no sort of use in knocking, said the footman, and that for two reasons. First, because I'm not on the same side of the door as you are. Secondly, because they're making such a noise inside, no one could possibly hear you. And certainly, there was a most extraordinary noise going on within, a constant howling and sneezing, and every now and then a great crash, as if a dish or kettle had been broken to pieces. Please then, said Alice, how am I to get in? There might be some sense in your knocking, the footman went on, without attending to her, if we had the door between us. For instance, if you were inside, you might knock, and I could let you out, you know. He was looking up into the sky all the time he was speaking, and this Alice thought decidedly uncivil. But perhaps he can't help it, she said to herself. His eyes are so very nearly at the top of his head. But at any rate, he might answer questions. How am I to get in? She repeated aloud. I shall sit here, the footman remarked, till tomorrow. At this moment, the door of the house opened and a large plate came skimming out, straight at the footman's head. It just grazed his nose and broke to pieces against one of the trees behind him. Or next day, maybe, the footman continued in the same tone, exactly as if nothing had happened. How am I to get in? asked Alice again, in a louder tone. Are you to get in at all? said the footman. That's the first question, you know. It was, no doubt. Only Alice did not like to be told so. It's really dreadful, she muttered to herself, the way all the creatures argue. It's enough to drive one crazy. The footman seemed to think this a good opportunity for repeating his remark with variations. I shall sit here, he said on and off, for days and days. But what am I to do, said Alice. Anything you like, said the footman, and began whistling. Oh, there's no use in talking to him, said Alice desperately. He's perfectly idiotic, and she opened the door and went in. The door led right into a large kitchen, which was full of smoke from one end to the other. The Duchess was sitting on a three-legged stool in the middle, nursing a baby. The cook was leaning over the fire, stirring a large cauldron, which seemed to be full of soup. There's certainly too much pepper in that soup, Alice said to herself, as well as she could for sneezing. 
There was certainly too much of it in the air. Even the Duchess sneezed occasionally. And as for the baby, it was sneezing and howling alternately without a moment's pause. The only thing in the kitchen that did not sneeze were the cook and a large cat which was sitting on the hearth and grinning from ear to ear. Please would you tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, for she was not quite sure whether it was good manners for her to speak first. Why, your cat grins like that. It's a Cheshire cat, said Duchess, and that's why, pig. She said the last word with such sudden violence that Alice quite jumped, but she saw in another moment that it was addressed to the baby and not to her, so she took courage and went on again. I didn't know that Cheshire cats always grinned. In fact, I didn't know that cats could grin. They all can, said the Duchess, and most of them do. I don't know of any that do, Alice said very politely, feeling quite pleased to have got into a conversation. You don't know much, said the Duchess, and that's a fact. Alice did not at all like the tone of this remark, and thought it would be as well to introduce some other subject of conversation. While she was trying to fix on one, the cook took the cauldron of soup off the fire, and at once set to work throwing everything within her reach at the Duchess and the baby. The fire irons came first, then followed a shower of saucepans, plates, and dishes. The Duchess took no notice of them, even when they hit her, and the baby was howling so much already that it was quite impossible to say whether the blows hurt it or not. Oh, please mind what you're doing, cried Alice, jumping up and down in an agony of terror. Oh, there goes his precious nose, as an unusually large saucepan flew close by it and very nearly carried it off. If everyone minded their own business, the Duchess said in a hoarse growl, the world would go round a deal faster than it does. Which would not be an advantage, said Alice, who felt very glad to get an opportunity of showing off a little of her knowledge. Just think of what work it would make with the day and night. You see, the earth takes 24 hours to turn round its axis. Talking of axis, said the Duchess, chop off her head. Alice glanced rather anxiously at the cook to see if she meant to take the hint. But the cook was busily stirring the soup and seemed not to be listening. So she went on again. 24 hours, I think, or is it 12? I, oh, don't bother me, said the Duchess. I never could abide figures. And with that, she began nursing her child again, singing a sort of lullaby to it as she did so, and giving it a violent shake at the end of every line. Speak roughly to your little boy and beat him when he sneezes. He only does it to annoy because he knows he teases. In which the cook and baby joined, wow, wow, wow. While the Duchess sang the second verse of the song, she kept tossing the baby violently up and down, and the poor little thing howled so that Alice could hardly hear the words. I speak severely to my boy, I beat him when he sneezes, 
for he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases. Chorus, wow, wow, wow. Here, you may nurse it a bit, if you like, the Duchess said to Alice, flinging the baby at her as she spoke. I must go and get ready to play croquette with the queen, and she hurried out of the room. The cook threw a flying pan after her as she went out, but it just missed her. Alice caught the baby with some difficulty, as it was a queer-shaped little creature, and held out its arms and legs in all directions, just like a starfish, thought Alice. The poor thing was snorting like a steam engine when she caught it, and kept doubling itself up and straightening itself out again, so that, altogether, for the first minute or two, it was as much as she could do to hold it. As soon as she had made out the proper way of nursing it, which was to twist it up into a sort of knot, and then keep tight hold of its right ear and left foot, so as to prevent its undoing itself, she carried it out into the open air. If I don't take the child away with me, thought Alice, they're sure to kill it in a day or two. Wouldn't it be murder to leave it behind? She said the last words out loud, and the little thing grunted in reply. It had left off sneezing by this time. Don't grunt, said Alice. That's not at all a proper way of expressing yourself. The baby grunted again, and Alice looked very anxiously into its face to see what was the matter with it. There could be no doubt that it had a very turn-up nose, which more like a snout than a real nose. Also, its eyes were getting extremely small for a baby. Altogether, Alice did not like the look of the thing at all. But perhaps it was only sobbing, she thought, and looked into its eyes to see if there were any tears. No, there were no tears. If you're going to turn into a pig, my dear, said Alice, Seriously, I'll have nothing more to do with you. Mind now, the poor little thing sobbed again, or grunted. It was impossible to say which, and they went on for some while in silence. Alice was just beginning to think to herself, Now, what am I to do with this creature when I get it home? When it grunted again so violently that she looked down into its face in some alarm. This time, there could be no mistake about it. It was neither more nor less than a pig, and she felt that it would be quite absurd for her to carry it further. So she set the little creature down and felt quite relieved to see it trot away quietly into the wood. If it had grown up, she said to herself, it would have made a dreadfully ugly child, but it makes rather a handsome pig, I think and she began thinking over other children she knew, who might do very well as pigs, and was just saying to herself, if one only knew the right way to change them. When she was a little startled by seeing the Cheshire cat sitting on a bough of a tree a few yards away, the cat only grinned when it saw Alice. It looked good-natured, she thought. Still, it had very long claws and a great many teeth, so she felt that it ought to be treated with respect. Cheshire Puss, she began rather timidly, 
as she did not at all know whether it would like the name. However, it only grinned a little wider. Come, it's pleased so far, thought Alice, and she went on. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Alice felt that this could not be denied, so she tried another question. What sort of people live about here? In that direction, the cat said, waving its right paw round, lives a hatter. And in that direction, waving the other paw, lives a March Hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Alice didn't think that proved it at all. However, she went on. And how do you know that you're mad? To begin with, said the cat, a dog's not mad. You grant that, I suppose, said Alice. Well then, the cat went on. You see, a dog growls when it's angry and wags its tail when it's pleased. Now, I growl when I'm pleased and wag my tail when I'm angry. Therefore, I'm mad. I call it purring, not growling, said Alice. Call it what you like, said the cat. Do you play croquette with the queen today? I should like it very much, said Alice, but I haven't been invited yet. You'll see me there, said the cat, and vanished. Alice was not much surprised at this. She was getting so used to the queer things happening. While she was looking at the place where it had been, it suddenly appeared again. By the by, what came of the baby, said the cat. I'd nearly forgotten to ask. It turned into a pig, Alice quietly said, just as if it had come back in a natural way. I thought it would, said the cat, and vanished again. Alice waited a little, half expecting to see it again, but it did not appear. And after a minute or two, she walked on in the direction in which the March Hare was said to live. I've seen hatters before, she said to herself. The March Hare will be much the most interesting. And perhaps as this is May, it won't be raving mad. At least not so mad as it was in March. As she said this, she looked up and there the cat again sitting on a branch of a tree. Did you say pig or fig, said the cat. I said pig, replied Alice, and I wish you wouldn't keep appearing and vanishing so suddenly. You make one quite giddy. All right, said the cat, and this time it vanished quite slowly, beginning with the end of the tail and ending with the grin, which remained some time after the rest of it had gone. Well, I've often seen a cat without a grin, thought Alice but a grin without a cat. It's the most curious thing I ever saw in my life. She had not gone much farther 
before she came in sight of the house of the March Hare. She thought it must be the right house, because the chimneys were shaped like ears, and the roof was thatched with fur. It was so large a house, it was so large a house, that she did not like to go nearer, till she had nibbled some more of the left-hand bit of the mushroom, and raised herself to about two feet high, and then she walked up towards it rather timidly, saying to herself, Suppose it should be raving mad after all. I almost wish I'd gone to see the Hatter instead. A Mad Tea Party There was a table set out under a tree in front of the house, and the March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. A dormhouse was sitting between them, fast asleep, and the other two were using it as a cushion, resting their elbows on it and talking over its head. Very uncomfortable for the Dormouse, thought Alice, only as it's asleep I suppose it doesn't mind. The table was a large one, but the three were all crowded together at one corner of it. No room, no room, they cried out when they saw Alice coming. There's plenty of room, said Alice indignantly, and she sat down in a large armchair at one end of the table. Have some wine, the March Hare said in an encouraging tone. Alice looked all round the table, but there was nothing on it but tea. I don't see any wine, she remarked. There isn't any, said the March Hare. Then it wasn't very civil of you to offer it, said Alice angrily. It wasn't very civil of you to sit down without being invited, said the March Hare. I didn't know it was your table, said Alice. It's laid for a great many more than three. The hare wants cutting, said the hatter. He had been looking at Alice for some time with great curiosity, and this was his first speech. You should learn not to make personal remarks, Alice said with some severity. It's very rude. The hatter opened his eyes very wide on hearing this, but all he said was, Why is a raven like a writing desk? Come, we shall have some fun now, thought Alice. I'm glad they've begun asking riddles. I believe I can guess that, she added aloud. Do you mean that you think you can find out the answer to it, said the March Hare? Exactly so, said Alice. Then you should say what you mean, the March Hare went on. I do, Alice hastily replied. At least, at least I mean what I say. That's the same thing, you know. Not the same thing a bit, said the Hatter. You might just as well say that I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. You might just as well say, added the March Hare, that I like what I get is the same thing as I get what I like. You might just as well say, added the Dormouse, who seemed to be talking in his sleep, that I breathe when I sleep is the same thing as I sleep when I breathe. It is the same thing with you, said the Hatter. And here, the conversation dropped, and the party sat silent for a minute, while Alice thought over all she could remember about ravens and writing desks, which wasn't much. The Hatter was the first to break the silence. What day of the month is it, he said, turning to Alice. 
He had taken his watch out of his pocket and was looking at it uneasily, shaking it every now and then and holding it to his ear. Alice considered a little and then said the fourth. Two days wrong, sighed the hatter. I told you butter wouldn't suit the works, he added looking angrily at the March Hare. It was the best butter, the March Hare meekly replied. Yes, but some crumbs must have got in as well, the hatter grumbled. You shouldn't have put it in with the bread knife. The March Hare took the watch and looked at it gloomily. Then he dipped it into his cup of tea and looked at it again. But he could think of nothing better to say than his first remark. It was the best butter, you know. Alice had been looking over his shoulder with some curiosity. What a funny watch, she remarked. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is? Why should it, muttered the hatter. Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not, Alice replied very readily. But that's because it stays the same year for such a long time together. Which is just the case with mine, said the hatter. Alice felt dreadfully puzzled. The hatter's remark seemed to have no sort of meaning in it, and yet it was certainly English. I don't quite understand you, she said, as politely as she could. The dormouse is asleep again, said the hatter, and he poured a little hot tea upon its nose. The dormouse shook its head impatiently and said without opening its eyes, of course, of course, just what I was going to remark myself. Have you guessed the riddle yet? The hatter said, turning to Alice. No, I give it up, Alice replied. What's the answer? I haven't the slightest idea, said the hatter. Nor I, said the March Hare. Alice sighed wearily. I think you might do something better with the time, she said, than waste it in asking riddles that have no answers. If you knew time as well as I do, said the Hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him. I don't know what you mean, said Alice. Of course you don't, the Hatter said, tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you never even spoke to time. Perhaps not, Alice cautiously replied, but I know I have to beat time when I learn music. Ah, that accounts for it, said the Hatter. He won't stand beating. Now, if you only kept on good terms with him, he'd do almost anything you liked with the o'clock. For instance, suppose it were nine o'clock in the morning, just time to begin lessons. You'd only have to whisper a hint to time, and round goes the clock in a twinkling. Half past one, time for dinner. I only wish it was, the March Hare said to itself in a whisper. That would be grand, certainly, said Alice thoughtfully. But then, I shouldn't be hungry for it, you know. Not at first, perhaps, said the Hatter. But you could keep it half past one as long as you like. Is that the way you manage, Alice asked. The Hatter shook his head mournfully. Not I, he replied. We quarreled last March just before he went mad, you know pointing with his teaspoon at the March Hare. It was the great concert given by the Queen of Hearts, and I had to sing. Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, 
How I wonder what you're at. You know the song, perhaps. I've heard something like it, said Alice. It goes on, you know, the Hatter continued, in this way. Up above the world you fly, like a tea tray in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle. Here, the Dormouse shook itself and began singing in its sleep, Twinkle, 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 and went on so long that they had to pinch it to make it stop. Well, I had hardly finished the first verse, said the Hatter, when the Queen jumped up and bawled out, He's murdering the time, off with his head. How dreadfully savage, exclaimed Alice. And ever since that, the Hatter went on in a mournful tone. He won't do a thing, I ask. It's always six o'clock now. A bright idea came into Alice's head. Is that the reason so many tea things are put out here? She asked. Yes, that's it, said the Hatter with a sigh. It's always tea time. We've no time to wash the things between whiles. Then you keep moving round, I suppose, said Alice. Exactly so, said the Hatter, as the things get used up. But what happens when you come to the beginning again? Alice ventured to ask. Suppose we change the subject, the March Hare interrupted, yawning. I'm getting tired of this. I vote the young lady tells us a story. I'm afraid I don't know one, said Alice, rather alarmed at the proposal. Then the Dormouse shall, they both cried. Wake up, Dormouse, and they pinched it on both sides at once. The Dormouse slowly opened his eyes. I wasn't asleep, he said in a hoarse, feeble voice. I heard every word you fellows were saying. Tell us a story, said the March Hare. Yes, please do, pleaded Alice. And be quick about it, added the Hatter, or you'll be asleep again before it's done. Once upon a time, there were three little sisters. The Dormouse began in a great hurry and their names were Elsie, Lacey, and Tilly, and they lived at the bottom of a well. What did they live on, said Alice, who always took a great interest in questions of eating and drinking. They lived on a treacle, said the Dormouse, after thinking a minute or two. They couldn't have done that, you know, Alice gently remarked. They'd all be ill. So they were, said the Dormouse, very ill. She tried to fancy to herself what such an extraordinary ways of living would be like. But it puzzled her too much, so she went on. But why did they live at the bottom of a well? Take some more tea, the March Hare said to Alice very earnestly. I've had nothing yet, Alice replied in an offended tone, so I can't take more. You mean you can't take less, said the Hatter. It's very easy to take more than nothing. Nobody asked your opinion, said Alice. Who's making personal remarks now? The Hatter asked triumphantly. Alice did not quite know what to say to this, so she helped herself to some tea and bread and butter. So she helped herself to some tea and bread and butter, and then turned to the Dormouse and repeated her question. Why did they live at the bottom of a well? The Dormouse again took a minute or two to think about it and then said it was a treacle well. There's no such thing, 
Alice was beginning very angrily, but the Hatter and the March Hare went on, shh, shh, and the Dormouse sulkily remarked, if you can't be civil, you'd better finish the story for yourself. No, please go on, Alice said very humbly, I won't interrupt again, I dare say there may be one. One indeed, said the Dormouse indignantly. However, he consented to go on. And so these three little sisters, they were learning to draw, you know. What did they draw, said Alice, quite forgetting her promise. Treacle, said the Dormouse, without considering it all this time. I want a clean cup, interrupted the Hatter. Let's all move one place on. He moved on as he spoke, and the Dormouse followed him. The March Hare moved into Dormouse's place, and Alice, rather unwillingly, took the place of the March Hare. The Hatter was the only one who got any advantage from the change, and Alice was a good deal worse off than before, as the March Hare had just upset the milk jug into his plate. Alice did not wish to offend the Dormouse again, so she began very cautiously, but I don't understand. Where did they draw the treacle from? You can draw water out of a water well, said the Hatter. So I should think you could draw treacle out of a treacle well. Eh, stupid? But they were in the well, Alice said to the Dormouse, not choosing to notice this last remark. Of course they were, said the Dormouse, well in. This answer so confused poor Alice, that she let the Dormouse go on for some time without interrupting it. They were learning to draw, the Dormouse went on, yawning and rubbing its eyes, for it was getting very sleepy, and they drew all manner of things, everything that begins with an M. Why with an M, said Alice. Why not, said the March Hare. Alice was silent. The Dormouse had closed its eyes by this time, and was going off into a doze, but on being pinched by the Hatter, it woke up again with a little shriek, and went on. That begins with an M, such as mouse traps, and the moon, and memory, and muchness. You know you say things are much of a muchness, did you ever see such a thing as a drawing of a muchness? Really, now you ask me, said Alice, very much confused, I don't think. Then you shouldn't talk, said the Hatter. This piece of rudeness was more than Alice could bear. She got up in great disgust and walked off. The Dormouse fell asleep instantly, and neither of the others took the least notice of her going though she looked back once or twice, half hoping that they would call after her. The last time she saw them, they were trying to put the Dormouse into the teapot. At any rate, I'll never go there again, said Alice as she picked her way through the wood. It's the stupidest tea party I ever was at in all my life. Just as she said this, she noticed that one of the trees had a door leading right into it, that's very curious, she thought, but everything's curious today. I think I may as well go in at once, and in she went. Once more, she found herself in the long hall, 
and close to the little glass table. Now I'll manage better this time, she said to herself, and began by taking the little golden key and unlocking the door that led into the garden. Then she went to work nibbling at the mushroom. She had kept a piece of it in her pocket till she was about a foot high. Then she walked down the little passage and then she found herself at last in the beautiful garden among the bright flower beds and the cool fountains. Thank you all for listening. If you found the podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave me a kind review on whatever platform you listen on. It helps others find the podcast. You can visit me and join my social media at knoxbedtimestories.com. I'll see you all again Monday. I wish you all a wonderful night's sleep and a happy, peaceful life. Good night.